we've been in a series, and I love this. We're just walking through the word of God. We've been in the book of James. And oftentimes people ask me, so pastor, do you preach like series? Do you go book by book? Do you just kind of hear from God and open the Bible and go? And I do almost all of that. <laughs> I'll never not come prepared, but if God wants to show up and change the plans, he has permission at all times. Uh, actually, a, a pastor this morning told me, you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. And, uh, <laughs> and so, so that's very true. And so we do all of those things. And right now we're in a series, we're walking through the book of James and we've called the series Life Hacks. And why do we call it Life Hacks? Because James is about practical knowledge, practical skills, things that if you do it this way, you do it God's way, it will help you. And that's what a life hack is. There's a lot of ways to do it, but there's an easier way to get the, the uh, intended result, and that's the life hack. And so for the last several weeks, we've been talking about just easier ways that, that even, if we, even if we think there's another way we'd like to do it, if we did it this way, because this is how God designed us to do it, this is how God intended us to do it, it would actually get us the result that we're looking for. And so we've been in this series called Life Hacks, and today we're going to talk about boasting. And, uh, and this idea of boasting is very much connected to our plans, which is hilarious because uh, it's been a week where plans have not all going according to plan. Anybody had a week where things just don't go according to plan? How many of you love that? Like you just love the chaos. You're like, yeah, I'm unmoving. Things are different. There's some of you that are sick in the head. You don't want to raise your hands because you know we'll judge you, right? But, but how many of you, it just melts you down when the plans don't go the way? Yeah, I'm in that, I'm in that group too, right? It's like, man, I want things to go according to plan. <laughs> I always want things. Have you ever felt like you had a perfect plan and then the wheels just came off? Okay, I'm in the right room. I was trying to think back to the first time I thought I had a perfect plan and the wheels came off. I was, I believe, 14, maybe I was 13. And I met a girl at school. Come on now. And I was like, hey, we should hang out sometime. All my courage was up at the highest level it had ever been. And she's like, yeah, totally. You should just come over. And I was like, cool, that'd be fun. So I went home. Now, here's the problem. I watched too much TV, and I had in my head that there's no way that it would be normal for me to just tell my parents, hey, I made a friend. I'm going to go over to her house. So I decided I had to have a plan. I had to come up with a scheme to go over to this girl's house. So we're in the pre-cell phone era, so life was easier because your parents couldn't just go, bloop, I see right where you're at. Like, here's the GPS location, so what's the point? I don't know how kids get away with things today. I just have no idea. But we're in the pre-cell phone era, so I call up my buddy Kevin. He lives about a mile away, and I used to ride my bike to his house all the time, and I said, Kevin, I have the perfect plan. He goes, what's the plan? I said, I'm going to tell my parents that I'm coming to your house, but I'm going to go to her house, and if my parents call, you tell them I'm in the bathroom, and then you call me at her house, and then I'll call my parents back, and it'll be cool. I mean, nobody had caller ID yet, right? This is a cool plan. I'm like, this is the perfect plan. He's like, good plan. First of all, teenagers, don't you talk to anybody besides your friends before you make any plans. <laughs> They're great, but go somewhere higher up the food chain. So I make this plan. I hop on my bike and I pedal over to this girl's house. We do nothing, by the way. I mean, we're just talking. I don't barely know this girl, but I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. Her phone rings, and I'm like, oh, it's the plan. Here comes Kevin, and he's on the phone, and he's like, dude. I'm like, what? They called. Your parents called. I'm like, sure. Did you tell them the plan? He goes, no, my mom answered. 
Mike hasn't been here all day. I don't know what you're talking about. He's like, you're dead. I was like, I am dead. I need a new plan. Where else can I live? <laughs> so I hop on my bike and I pedal home thinking of all the horrible things. And yes, they all happen. At the end of all the horrible things, my dad just looked at me and he goes, what made you think you couldn't just ask us if you wanted to go to somebody's house? And I remember like the facepalm moment, just realizing I had made all these plans. My parents, they had no reason to not trust me. Sometimes the perfect plans fail. One of the uh, crazy shows I watched, I watched too many shows as a kid, was The A-Team. Did anybody watch The A-Team growing up? Yeah, right? Remember Hannibal? He always had this great line. He'd say, I love it when a plan comes together. I love it when a plan comes together. And I'm one of those guys, and you're one of those guys, that we just love it when a plan comes together. We think, oh, if this happens, then this, then this domino will fall, and all of these things will happen. But the reality is, plans don't always work out. No matter how hard we plan, no matter how much we strategize, sometimes our plans don't work out. And the reason is, not everything is certain. I think it was Ben Franklin who gets credited with the, uh, the old adage, if you really want to know what's certain, the only two things in life that are certain are death and yes. And what does that mean? It means that overwhelmingly, most things are not guaranteed. You see, in reality, there's very few guarantees. There's very few guarantees in life. There's only so many guarantees. And, and those of us that have been on a relationship with, with Jesus for a while and gotten to God's word, you know, there are some things that he does promise. And those are the things that we can hang our hat on. But short of that, there are very few guarantees. You and I are not guaranteed very much on this window of life that we're living right now as we spin around on this ball of earth. Even really good plans don't always work. I mean, I had a good, that was a good, for a 13-year-old, come on, that was a good, there was like layers to that plan. Come on, you've had the family vacation and then the car breaks down, the wheels, you know, just fall off, the kids are melting down, you forgot the th one thing that you needed. Plans just sometimes don't work out, but there's very few guarantees. So when I'm looking for guarantees, I go here. This is a few places that I can get guarantees. Let me throw you some amazing guarantees that you can find if you get into the word of God. First John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's a guarantee. When you get honest before God, no matter what you've been through, where you've been, what you've done, when you say, God, this is me, I'm a mess, I've blown it, God's faithful. You can't shock God. God sees time differently than we see time. He already knew you were gonna blow it. So you didn't shock him when you did. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just. How about John 3.16? You know this. You know this one. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. I should slow that down a bit. His one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There's that believe work part piece that we get to do again. Whoever believes in him won't perish. You know that one. I like this promise, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight, or he'll direct your paths. 
There's a promise in there. Some of you come oftentimes to this place where you're like, ah, I'm working through my plans. It's like, all right. Well, here's the promise. Start trusting. Start leaning into him. Start counting on him. He'll start directing your paths. There's lots of promises in here. That's why we talk about how important it is that we read the Bible, that we get into the word of God. My favorite analogy about getting into the word of God is some, it just goes like this. Can you imagine if you had a family member or a relative that passed away and they had a will and that will was filled with things that you were entitled to and you never took the time to read the will to find out what you were entitled to, how much you would leave on the table. If, if you knew someone who was doing that, you would look at them and say, what are you doing? There's stuff that you're entitled to that was left to you, that was promised to you, that was guaranteed to you. And all you have to do is read it and receive it. And you're like, nah, bro, I don't have, I don't have, I'm kind of busy this week. <laughs> I got a lot going on. You don't understand this week, it's crazy. And here's God saying, all these promises that you're entitled to, all these things that because of what I did for you are available for you. But here's the thing I want you to catch. Not everything will work out the way we plan it, but God really does care about our plans. He's very concerned about our plans. He cares what we do, what we don't do, how we spend our time on this window. And uh, we're going to walk into the book of James here. And James is going to talk about this incredible tension of how we manage our plans and how we kind of puff ourselves up believing that we can just do the thing we plan to do with or without God's help and his support. James has been uh, arguing through this point, if you've been with us, or you can go back and check it out, but he's been arguing through this point, uh, up, up until this point, about different kinds of wisdom, and that there's a heavenly wisdom, a wisdom that you can access when you're connected to the heart of God, and then there's basically not wisdom, a humanly wisdom of just doing the best you can with what you're working with. And he's been arguing that there's different kinds of ways that we can live our life. We can either live it with wisdom or without wisdom. And so he demonstrates throughout his text that, that there is a wisdom that comes from God. Now, this is fascinating because James, we know, is the brother of Jesus, the half-brother of Jesus, and he was a late adapter. He came on late to believing in Jesus. He, growing up, I mean, we've had this conversation, I don't know what it would take for your sibling to convince you they're God. It took death and resurrection to convince James, and I think that's about it. My brother could feed 5,000 and I'd be like, I don't know what kind of spell you're casting. I don't know what kind of, what, right? But if he died and rose from the dead, I'd say, okay, I'm in. What do you got? And that's James. And so James has become a very influential pastor. He's a pastor in Jerusalem at this time. And uh, he's actually Paul's pastor. He's, he's leading this body and he's writing these words of wisdom, trying to help us understand that there's a better way that we can do things because of who Jesus is. And in James chapter four, beginning at verse 13, he says something to us and it starts with, now listen. Now there's very few people who can start a thought that way. Usually a parent or someone in authority can start a conversation that way. But most of the time, if someone walks up to you and says, now listen, you're like, who do you think you are? What, what gives you that authority? But James feels that authority. He feels paternal. He feels the influence of that. And so I get this picture of James. He's been talking through all of these different ideas. And he's like, oh, and here's one for you. So listen up. So James kind of predicates it. He's like, I got something for you guys. 
on this one. So let's see what he says. He goes, you who say, I'll just read the whole thing and then I'll break it down. He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to this or that city. We'll spend a year there. We'll carry on business and make money. (laughs) Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What's your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and you brag, and all such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Let's walk back through that. Now listen, you who say, verse 13, today or tomorrow, we'll go to this city or to that city and spend a year there and carry on business and make money. I had to ask myself a question. I'm like, God, is it a sin to make any plans? I know that's not the case. You know, God plans. He had a plan, executed the plan perfectly. So it's not a sin to make plans. So there's gotta be something different there. We're created in the image of God and God's a planner. So it's instinctive to us to make plans. It's instinctive to us to go, okay, we'll do this and then we'll go do that and we'll do that. So we know that it's not a sin to make a plan. We know it's not a sin to have vision. So what is he trying to say? Well, verse 14, he goes, well, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. He's saying there is something connected to your plans, an arrogant piece that comes out in us that says you can figure out what will happen tomorrow. I was thinking about how we don't know what will happen tomorrow. And you know what occurs to me? I don't even know what's going to happen today. I'm pretty sure I'm going to get through this message. Like we're going to pray. Communion's going to happen. Like I'm pretty sure those things are going to happen. Then I'm pretty sure I got some friends in town that will go eat. You know, we'll go hang out. We'll do some, like we have plans, but none of that is guaranteed. None of that is guaranteed. Anything, my phone could ring and the whole thing could go another direction, just like that. Car could break down, the whole thing could go another direction. Lightning could strike, I'm just saying. By the way, the elevator works, if you've been wondering if the elevator would work for a while. (laughs) Lightning took that bad boy out, so just saying. (laughs) It's arrogant of us to believe without a doubt that we control our plans. I had a plan this morning, got here early with some, uh, some thoughts of things I wanted to do, and there was other stuff going on that just changed my plans. It's funny, I, I never really thought about tomorrow and what would happen tomorrow when I was younger. I always just kind of enjoyed the moment and lived in the moment, and then I began to make plans. I remember, I shared the story a little bit, but uh, on my way to Bible college, I had this big plan. And I was driving up and I got in a horrific car accident. A big rig just changed lanes on I-5, just took out the front of me. I went zoom, 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 whoosh, up into the oleanders. My car was wedged up there. And I remember it was the first time that I realized I wasn't guaranteed a tomorrow. I was 17 years old. At 17, I was immortal. Nothing could happen to me. And suddenly I had to realize, wow, I may not have as much time as I thought, it didn't even occurred to me how much time I might have that I couldn't guarantee what would happen tomorrow. James says, uh, listen up. You think you're going to go here. You think you're going to do that. You think you're just going to carry on business. Now, he makes an illustration from business, which I think is, uh, is good because it's relatable to everyone. But essentially, he's talking about you're making plans with the confidence that you can do it. Because there's something in there that goes wonky, that goes sideways. He goes, what is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while 
and then vanishes. Wow. Thanks, James. <laughs> Pastor Mike, weren't we talking earlier about how awesome we are and that God like, made us something new and it's amazing? Yes, all of those are true. But here's Pastor James talking to a group of people. Now, you know, he says, now listen. So he's addressing some issue. Somehow in the body of God, there had become a sense of we'll do the thing we want to do right now and we'll get around to the thing that God wants to do. This is going to be the season where I go take care of my plans and then later on, I'll get to the thing that God wants to do. And James tells this amazing illustration. He says, what's your life? Now, this is a question we ask. Philosophers have been asking this since the beginning of time. What's the meaning of life? What is our life? What on earth are we here for? James says, your life is short. You're just here for a little while. And I love this picture of being like a mist. James says, you want to know what your life is while you're here on earth? It's this. That's the thing. Because you want to know what your life is? It's this. And then it's over. Now, I had a hard time with this. I was wrestling with this this week because I was like, man, my life isn't just that, is it, James? But here's the picture I wanted you to catch. You know, I did a lot of years of youth ministry. I worked with teens for a long time. I told you my story, my car accident story, but there's something about feeling like we have forever to get around to the things that are really important. Oh, we'll get around to those things. We'll get to those things. God, I know, you know, I know you put in me this thing and I'm supposed to use it for you and I, I know that, but right now, I've got this to do, that to do, this to do. And James is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's gonna be gone before you know it. You know, I used to be one of those guys that, that kind of smirked when someone would say things like, oh, you've gotten so big, where's the time go? Right, there's always that crazy aunt or uncle. For me, it was an aunt and she would grab my cheeks really hard. Aunt Mary. And she would come and we would all run the other directions because if she could catch you, it was like a physical assault of your cheek, right? And she would grab it hard. She'd you're getting so big. Where's the time gone? Now I'm that guy. I don't grab children that way because that's weird. <laughs> but I'm looking back. I'm looking at my kids. My kid's 11. I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? Like I used to hold them like this in one hand. Now he's like, I have to make sure I can still take him in a fight. <laughs> he's getting big. What happened? Just blew by. And all those thoughts of, man, this is, parents, you know this. Teenagers, you know this. You had a school year and it just blew by. While you were in it, you're like, this is forever. And then you look back and you're like, where's all my friends from last year? They're just gone. Just blew by. You know, when, when I think back to my high school days, I don't have a lot of regrets. I'm not one of those guys that's like, glory days. You know, like thinking about those as the best days of my life. I knew the best days of my life were still to come and they're still to come. I knew that early on. But when I look back at my high school days and I look back at those different seasons of my life, you know what strikes me with regret? I think about names of people 
that I didn't really connect with, I didn't really talk to. I didn't really, I didn't have the courage to share my heart with them and who I was and what God was doing in my life. I just wanted to get through and get out and be done. And I look back and when I think about regrets, I think about names like Aaron and Anthony and some of my friends that were guys that were in my circle who I had access to their heart, Kevin, who lied for me, uh, right? <laughs> by, by the end of high school, we weren't as close anymore. But, but I think back to those moments and I think, man, that time just was gone. I may never have that window again to share with them what God was doing in my life and in my heart at that time. It's a vapor, and then it's over. You know, the first time I ever really shared my faith, I was doing street ministry. I was, uh, <laughs> it was like a school mandatory thing because I was in Bible college. I'm like, you're gonna walk around downtown and talk to people at night. And I was like, all right, fine, I'll do it one time. We'll try it out. And I'm walking around just thinking, this is lame, this is lame, this is lame, this is lame, this is lame. And I sit down and I end up talking to a guy. He's a young guy like me at the time. And I just tell him, hey, you know, I'm just out with my school. We're just talking to people about Jesus. You ever thought about Jesus? And you know what he said? He goes, yeah, I've thought about it, but I got lots of time. I got lots of time. Right now, I'm just not doing that thing. <laughs> and it's over. James says, there's a way and a mindset and a thinking that you've got tons of time and that you'll fit in the stuff that God's put in your life. Last week, we talked about that last 5%, those important things that you're responsible for, that you'll just fit all those in later. James says, whoo, how arrogant to think you have time to get around to the most important things later. It's interesting because when we think about God, we know that he knows everything. He knows everything that's about to happen, that ever will happen. He knows the whole picture of our lives. He stands outside of time. And then we presume to look at a God who knows everything, who says, this is the things I need you to be doing right now, and go, ah, we got time. <laughs> we'll get to that stuff later. And that's what James is leaning into, and that's the life hack that he wants us to get today. So he says, how do we do it right? Verse 15, he goes, well, instead, instead you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we'll live and we'll do this or that. I love that he says we'll live. <laughs> He's like, just so you know, the fact that you live is the Lord's will or not. Not just if it's the Lord's will, because he could have just said, if it's the Lord's will, we'll do this or that. But he goes, if it's the Lord's will, let's just predicate that. You'll even be around here to do the things God's called you to do. You missed. And it's funny because <laughs> if it's the Lord's will, in, in kind of, that's a kind of thing that could fit nicely on a uh, Christian bumper sticker or into our vernacular. And so, so we gobble that up, right? Well, you know, if it's the Lord's will, I'll do this. If it's the Lord's will, I'll do that. And we almost turn it into uh, a cliche and we lose the heart that James is trying to get behind there. He's trying to say, there's a way to live your life that says, God, what is your plan first? And I wanna be in that. And he says, if you wanna plan, that's how you do it. If it's the Lord's will, we'll live and we'll do this. Basically, he's saying, have you sought the Lord? And do you believe that God's calling? Now, I love that he says, if it's the Lord will, because this creates a tension in me. And can we just have an honest conversation, a church conversation here? I have a hard time sometimes, because I'm one of these guys that has to 
wrestle with this when people say, I've heard the Lord and I'm going to do this, like with 100% certainty. Because I'm like, man, that's a big, bold declaration. And that happens. I do believe that. But I think there's something James is trying to coach us into saying here, saying you have to be continually hearing the Lord because I know that God has changed my plans. Even my God plans, he's changed my plans. And every time he changes my plans, I'm fully convinced that that's the plan from now on. And if he gave me the, this is gonna be the plan for this long and then you're gonna do this, I'd probably tap out because it'd be too stressful. So I have to be in a constant state of tension going, hey, you know what? I am all in. And as long as it remains the Lord's will, I'm gonna keep doing this. You know, when we planted the church in Oregon and we moved, I was like, okay, it's the Lord's will. And then I couldn't find a job. And I was like, what are you doing, God? 10 months goes by. It's the worst economy ever. I finally get a crummy job. And then after several months, I get a great job working for the park and recs. And I went, God, this is your will. It's so awesome. I have this great job. I'm in the community. I'm invested. And maybe your plan, now it all makes sense. I'll work this job and I'll just volunteer my time over here and I'll do this and I'll be that guy. It's the Lord's will. That's awesome. And then suddenly another door opens. God's like, that's the thing. And I go and I work for our, our, uh, our regional office of churches and they, call, they come in and they're like, hey, we need help. Our summer camps are tanking. We need pastors to get licensed. We want you to invest in this. And I'm like, God, that's so cool that this is your will. And I, I knew for certain it was God's will. I'm like, I'm in. I'll move over to this, this. I'll leave this thing behind and I'll go to this and I'll continue to plant the church, but I'll help raise up the next generation of pastors and I'll invest in summer camps because I'm good at that. And I'll just, you know, I'll make sure those things go and all these things are going well. And I'm like, this is incredible. This is now God's will. And then I got fired. Well, I didn't really get fired. Just, the money wasn't there anymore. So I got offered the opportunity to volunteer. Indefinitely. Indefinitely. <laughs> and that wasn't the thing anymore. It shifted. And then God opened the door at the church that we planted to suddenly become full-time in that environment. And I was like, we're in. This is it. We're going. It's cranking. God's providing. I'm like, man, it's your will. This is awesome. And then you guys know the rest of the story. God starts tugging says, hey, there's a thing that's happening in Puyallup, and you're the guy, and you need to walk in this. And I'm like, no, I already heard your will. I'm doing the thing I'm supposed to be doing. But if it's the Lord's will, be that guy. And your story might look like that. You're cranking, you're moving, you're doing the thing you're supposed to be doing, you're doing with everything you've got, as long as it's the Lord's will. And he has permission to tweak and to change and to be part of the journey and to partner with you because it's his plan. Verse 16, James is like, listen, as, as it is, you boast and brag and all that boasting's evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do it and doesn't do it, sins. <laughs> We're gonna go back to verse 17 in a minute because that's just a big gut punch. But he says there's a type of planning that you do, that you just say, okay, God, I'll eventually do those things, but I'm gonna do the things I wanna do right now. And he's like, that leads to a, there's, a, there's an arrogance in there. It's bragging and it's evil. See, here's the process that we go through. We start speaking a lie. We start speaking a lie. We start saying, yeah, I'm gonna get around to this thing. Yeah, I heard from the Lord, but I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna do this first and then eventually I'm gonna do that thing. You know how many conversations I've had with people who love Jesus, but have put him on hold while they do something else that they just feel like they wanna do or need to do right now? And they, they're just telling me, yeah, eventually I'm gonna go do this thing that God's called me to do. We start 
speaking lie. Then we believe the lie. We say it out loud enough that we believe it. We convince ourselves that that's what we're going to do. We go, yeah, we're going to do that. <laughs> then eventually, after we believe the lie long enough, we just live the lie. We just live the lie. We say, yeah, yeah, I'm the guy. I'm the gal. I'm, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to give God my every. He has control of my plans. As soon as I get to here, then that's when I'm going to do all that stuff. And we live indefinitely, like someday we'll do the thing God's called us to do. And James is like, you don't have that kind of permission. Your life is shorter than that. If God's called you to something, you have to move in that right now because at the end, if you don't, eventually you'll just die outside God's plan. You'll die outside God's plan. You'll spend all your time and energy doing the things you think you need to do right now, waiting for the season, the time that's gonna come when God finally is gonna, you're gonna finally give God your best. And, and James is like, you don't have a promise that you have that kind of time. So you gotta live in the plan. And then, Sometimes we go, well, Pastor Mike, right now I have to work and right now I have this and there's all these things I would love to do. And, and here's the thing you have to understand. Your work is not secular. How you spend your time is not secular. Everything is spiritual. Your work isn't secular. Everything is, you know what's interesting about Jesus that we don't talk about a lot, but James has unique perspective to this. For 30 years, he learned to trade and worked. James would have special insight into this. Do you think that, Jesus was outside of God's plan for 30 years working? Or was it God's plan for him to join the workforce, to follow an apprentice under his earthly adopted father? For 30 years, give or take, he did that. Yet I think sometimes we think, well, the three years of ministry that he did at the end, that was the spiritual piece. That's absurd. Everything is spiritual. You have a job right now that's spiritual. You better be right smack in the middle of God's plan. Right smack in the middle of God's heart, right where you're at right now. You're in between jobs right now? That's spiritual. Are you listening to God's voice? Your worship doesn't begin once you get into the spot where you think is the ultimate goal of where God has you. The journey is also spiritual. Taking a class, spiritual. You're not just getting ready to go do the thing someday that God would call you to do. It's interesting to think about James looking back on that window of time growing up besides his brother, seeing his brother. James knew, I had this picture, man, I'm visual this way. Again, James is a pastor, right? I just assume even back then he must have had an office or someplace where he sat, right? And he had to have knickknacks or things that Jesus made with his carpentry. There's no way he doesn't have like a thing on his desk that his brother made, right? Or a thing, something like that from their time together on earth. And you think he looked back at that time and thought that time wasn't spiritual? That time wasn't important? That time wasn't significant? There's just no way. Coolest office ever. Every step along the way, God, you got this. I plan my best, I make my best strategy, but I trust ultimately in the midst of all that, God, you have permission as long as it's your will. Here's the best I can do with what you've entrusted me with. You can wreck it at any place. That's how he wants us to handle it. So how does God want us to handle our plans? Let me give you the life hack. I'll break it down for you. Life hack is two parts. Part one, pray through your plans. Pray through your plans. 
Let me say it again so that it gets into your core. Pray through your plans. This is just, I'm going to be candid with you because I don't know any other way to do it. I get to hear people's plans a lot. People tell me, oh, there's a thing that's going on. And I'm always waiting for that moment when they said, and I took all this to the Lord and this is the picture that he gave me or whatever. Sometimes it's there. But I'm always tempted to ask, did you pray through this plan? Did you invite God into this journey? Pray through your plans. Take God there. How do we hear from God as we're trying to do this? A life hack's not any good if it's not practical, so I'm gonna give you some practical here. You could just kind of stay with me. Not all this will be on the screen, but but here's here's a simple thing. You wanna know if your plans are aligned with God? The first place to start is going to scripture. Go to his word. When I was wrestling with God about coming up here, you know what's crazy? I think next year, next year, next week is two years. So I moved up here July 31st. It'd be two years. That's crazy. Pretty awesome. So a little over two years ago, I was praying through my plans. I was like, God, is this you? And I was wrestling and I was frustrated trying to hear God's voice. And I took my Bible and I went off. I was on the side of a hill. Somehow it's spiritual to go on the side of a hill. I'm not sure. I just had to get away from distraction. Whatever your way of getting away from distraction is. I took my journal where I'd been writing things that God had spoke. And I took the word of God. I did that super spiritual thing where I was like, all right, fine. Let's have it out, God. Because you're going to have to give me something if you're going to change my world and change my plans. And I can tell you where he took me. He took me right to Acts chapter 20. And Paul was heading to Jerusalem. Acts chapter 20, verse 22. Paul writes this. He goes, and now compelled by the spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. I was like, seriously? (laughs) However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. And I got into God's word and I said, all right, I don't know where you're taking me. I don't know what you're doing, but I'm gonna be the guy who's compelled by the spirit to hear your voice and go and finish the race. Get into the word. You wanna hear his voice, get into the word. Go to godly counsel. Go to people you know and trust. Go to somebody in your life community who knows your story. Go to someone who's further in the race than you are. Someone you know who knows and loves the Lord but has expertise in the thing that you're wrestling with. Go to godly counsel. Proverbs is filled with uh, examples of needing to go to godly counsel and hear from other places and other people and their experience. Don't just make a plan. This is very, very important. Don't just make a plan and then go sell the plan to someone who you think will agree with you. That's our instinct. Don't just say, hey, I got this plan. What do you think? And look for people who will take you there. Go to godly counsel. Go to someone who will challenge you. Go to someone who's farther along in the race. I'll be honest with you. I went to all kinds of godly counsel. I still do. I keep connected to people who will challenge me, who will ask me questions, who will push me along in the race. I need that. You need that. You're trying to make your plans. Go to godly counsel. Heed that. Take advantage of that. Consult the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I'm going to give you a counselor. He's going to be with you. 
Consult the Spirit of God. Now, I tell this story to people individually. I've never told it from the front because from the front, I think it's a little crazy, but I'll just share my crazy with you because I'm crazy. I do something, my family, we do something whenever we're processing big decisions. We consult the Spirit. Here's one of the ways we consult the Spirit. There's lots of ways, but here's one of the ways. In uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, it says, Let the peace of God rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. It says, Let the peace of God rule in your heart. Now, that word for rule is a really important word. It's, uh, it's hard to say. It's, uh, I'm going to try to say it here, because it's brabuo, brabuo, right? But it actually means umpire. It's the same word that the Greeks would use for their umpires in their Olympic games as they start doing it. An umpire is someone who makes a ruling, makes a decision. Who's the winner? What's, did you get there? Did you accomplish it? Whatever it is. And the scripture tells us that we should let the peace of God rule in our hearts. We should let it umpire make a decision in our hearts. So I'm gonna give you a practical thing that Pastor Mike does in his own crazy neurosis on how I consult the spirit of God. Just one of the ways I do it. So you can go, wow, he's crazy. Or you can go, man, that's awesome. I'm not sure, but I'm gonna give it to you. When I have to make a big decision, like my plans, I'll get into harmony with my wife. We'll talk about it. We'll pray. We'll get on the same page because I feel like we have to be on the same page. We're one. And I'll say, listen, we're just going to make a decision. We're not going to tell anybody. And we're going to live for maybe the next week like this is the decision. And we're going to pray together and we're going to hear from God and we're going to invite the peace of God to umpire on our decision. And we're going to consult that. And we're going to look at each other in the eye and say, man, do you feel peace about this? Has God, has God calmed this in our heart and in our spirit? Has the Holy Spirit given us a peace about this? And now I'm a sports guy, so I think in terms of like balls and strikes. And I let, I let the peace of God call balls and strikes, right? Fire the fastball over. And you're like, ah, just a bit outside. At the end of that week, we'll talk to each other. I mean, we're talking the whole way through. And we say, man, how are you feeling? Like, I'm not sure. I don't feel good about this yet. All right. We haven't told anybody, so we're not embarrassed to change our plans. So, all right, we're changing our plans. We're going the other way. We're going to live this week like this. We're going to pray, and we're going to believe, and we're going to invite God, and we're going to consult the peace of God. We're just going to measure it out. We made a lot of life decisions with that step and that phase and that life hack in our marriage and in our life. And we just let the peace of God call balls and strikes. Consult the Holy Spirit. So the first life hack is pray through your plans. We talked about how do you do that. The second life hack is uh, <laughs> just as important, but a little easier to do. Credit your source. Credit your source. James is like, hey, at the end of all your plans, what should come out of you is God willing. This is God's plan. I'm in this because God's asked me to do this. He has permission to change my plans. He has permission to redirect us. As a church, we're doing that right now. We're praying through our plans. God, where are you taking us in the next season? Where are, you, where are we going? What is the dream? How is this gonna work? Because we want to credit the source. We don't wanna say, hey, we had a really good idea. Let's do this. We wanna say we had a God idea. So we're gonna move this direction. He has permission to change our plans at any point. We're praying, we're walking through that. We're figuring all of that stuff out. That's why the surveys are important. That's why you guys praying are important. And at the end, we get to give God credit and things get so much easier. We get to say, hey man, this is a God thing. We're just gonna do it. Pressure's on him. We just gotta be obedient. 
walk through the steps. And then we get to boast the way we're supposed to boast and say, hey, look what God has done. Look what God did. This credit thing's important because James is talking about a thing that gets in our heart when we don't give our plans over to God. A thing that rises up in us. He says, you're either gonna boast in yourself or you're gonna boast in God. One of those two things is gonna end up happening at the result in the end of your plans. And it just looks a little bit like this. If you're boasting in yourself, you're gonna end up proud. If you're boasting in yourself, you're gonna end up proud. But if you're boasting in God, you're gonna end up humble. Just before this, James quotes, uh, you know, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. At the end of your plan, if it's, look what we did. That's a, stick a thermometer in there and go, bing, self. But if at the end of the plan, it's, look what God did. We couldn't believe it. Ding, boasting in God. If you're boasting in yourself, you're gonna find yourself denying God. Saying, ah, I don't need to do that, I, I got this. Or God, I have it from here. But if you're boasting in God, you're gonna believe. There's nothing God couldn't do. If you're boasting in yourself, you're gonna reject the plans that God has for you. But if you're boasting in God, you're gonna receive them. You're gonna receive them. It's an amazing thing that we get to partner with God. But at the end of the day, we wanna make sure God gets the credit. He does this amazing thing with us and in us and through us because he designed us for partnership with him. We don't stink, we're not awful. God calls us a masterpiece. So anyone who's like, you're just a worm hanging over a flame. Come on now. Come a little bit more than that. God designed that worm. At least give me a God-designed worm hanging over the flame. At least throw me that nugget, right? But ultimately, God's in control and I trust him. Paul says it this way in Ephesians to, to keep us humble. It says, all of us, lived among them at one time. We were gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. We were following its desires and thoughts. Just like the rest, we were nature by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, he made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our transgressions or our sins. But it's by grace that we've been saved. And God raised us up. See who did it? With Christ and seated us with him on the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by the grace that you've been saved through faith. And it's not from yourself. It's the gift of God, not by work so that no one can boast. This just always reminds me, I was headed in one direction, but God stepped in. And because of that step in, he gets to weigh in on our plans. I want to be partnered with him. If you go back to James chapter four, that last verse always haunts me. You know, sometimes there's scriptures that just haunt you. Just like, oh, deal with that later. <laughs> I hear you, God, but not today. Anyone then who knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. This one doesn't make it on bumper stickers very often. <laughs> this one's not hanging on the fridge. It's not over next to the clock on the wall. <laughs> this one haunts me. First of all, anyone, so that's you and me and anyone, who knows the good they ought to do and they don't do it. That's sin. So it's bad enough, don't do the thing I shouldn't do. Like that's a lot of work. 
Go to Romans 7 if you want to know how hard that is. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things I do want to do, I do. I can't, I can't do the things I don't want to do. Ah! It's hard to not do the things that you don't want to do that you, I can't even say it. Someday I'll preach that sermon once I can get it out of my mouth in one, <laughs> in one phrase. I'll tongue twister us all. It's hard. But James is like, mm, it's not just not doing things that you shouldn't do. But it's also not doing things that you should do. And we should feel that when it comes to our plans, when it comes to what God has for us. We should feel that. I think about Jesus' life. Jesus' life was an incredible picture of this. And here's James who saw him again growing up, knew him as a carpenter's son. He, he watched Jesus honor his mother and his father. He watched how Jesus worshipped when he was young the same and consistent way that he did as he was older. James had a front row seat to all of that. And in John chapter 5, verse 19, when Jesus says, I only do what the Father asked me to do. Do you think that started when he started doing public ministry? He was doing that the whole way through. All of his plans were aligned with the Father. How cool is that? Jesus said, all of my plans are this way. <laughs> I love this picture of Jesus worshiping God and swinging a hammer. Just being a carpenter, giving God his best. Sometimes we feel tense. We're like, ah, I know there's a bigger plan coming. That's okay. Jesus had to wait till it was the perfect moment. It's not like Jesus was in sin and then got out of sin to go start his public ministry. You might be in a season right now going, I know there's a thing that God's called me to and it's not the right time and the right season. That's okay. You still stay in God's plan doing the thing he's called you to do right now. You give it absolutely everything you've got. You do it for the Lord, not for yourself. You do it as for the Lord. You do it that way right now, understanding that this season's coming where the next thing's gonna happen. You're gonna do that with everything you got. James had cool perspective on that. He had a front row seat to all of that. Jesus was really concerned about staying inside of the plan, wasn't he? I'm going to have my, uh, my team come up. We're going to close today with, with communion here in just a minute. And I was thinking about how committed Jesus was to the plan. You know, when we do communion, we talk a lot about the night he was betrayed. And we talk a lot about the last time that he ate with those guys. But after that, there's an incredible scene that we know about. Because after that, he takes those same folks that he just had a very powerful conversation with. And he says, I need you guys to come and pray with me. Because I got to go spend a little time with the Father and consult the plan. In Matthew chapter 26. It's crazy to me when I read through this, to think about Jesus in the garden. Now, <laughs> uh, you guys can go ahead and actually start going ahead and passing that out. And you can ask, just, just take the, the juice and the uh, bread. Thank you. And hold on to it. It's crazy for me to think about this. Matthew chapter 26. And I'm not going to put it up there or anything, but let me just paraphrase this for you. Because I have a picture of Jesus in the garden praying. And he brings his guys with him and he says, you guys pray. You support the plan with prayer over here and I'm gonna go pray about the plan. And he goes to his father and he says, hey, if you're willing, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. Then he goes and checks on his guys and they're sleeping. He's like, seriously, guys, I asked you to come and pray with me. Wake up. 
And then he consults the father again. And he says the same thing. If you're willing, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done. Now this is a challenge for me because he covers it again one more time. He goes back and the guys are sleeping. It's late. If you ever fall asleep when you're praying, you're in good company. The disciples have the same problem. It's cool. He gets a little frustrated with them and he goes back and a third time he consults his father on the plan. Three times. God, if you're willing, change the plan. But if you're not, I'm in, whatever the plan would be. Was Jesus rebelling by going three times? Was he fighting the plan? Was he in sin? No. But he did model for us that it's okay to go to the Father and check, are we on the plan? Are we in the plan? And God, if this is the plan, I'm in. Even if the plan isn't my perfect dream of what could be. Even if it wrecks my plans. Come on now. Even if it wrecks my plan. My plan is to do this and to have this. And then I'll come back and do your plan, God. And Jesus is like, ah, you better go to your father and check on the plan. And make sure that you've lined up with the plan. And then communion is when we come together and we remember that Jesus was committed to the plan because he knew the end result was you and me and all the people we know and love having access to his father. So he went and did the plan. Even though in the moment he was like, oh, I'm not so sure that I'm totally in love with this plan right now. <laughs> it's going to hurt. It's going to be hard. It's going to require some things from me to be in the plan. But I trust you, Father. And I want your will. And I know that even though there's some pain. See, when I was reading through the promises, there wasn't a promise of no pain. When I was reading through the promises, there wasn't ever a promise that we weren't going to spend our time on earth like this. That it wasn't going to be short. But there was a promise that we could know his will and walk in his plan. And Jesus said, I'm in. I'm in. So when we take communion, that's what we do. We just remember the plan. So would you stand with me? And we're going to hold this. We're going to take communion. And then I'm going to give you one more job. And then we're going to be done. We're almost there. Would you just hold the juice for a moment? And hold the bread. Sorry. Paul tells us that he received it from the Lord. So he reminds us that Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, the cup is the new covenant or the biggest promise I can make in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. So we're just going to remember that Jesus modeled for us that we could do the plan, even when it's tough, even when it's hard. We could hear God's voice. We could trust him. It's okay to ask questions. It's okay to push hard. And it's okay even at the end to go, I'm not sure I love the plan. But he modeled for us 
And the hope we have today is because he stuck to the plan. He gave God the credit and he trusted him. So God, this morning, we just give you permission to wreck our plans, to lead our plans, to move in our plans, to dictate our plans. We just put our hope and our trust in you. And we say thanks for God literally being faithful to yourself because you can't disown yourself and doing the plan. So thanks. And we remember that. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You can break the bread and take it and eat it and take the juice. Now I'm going to give you one more homework assignment because what kind of life hack would it be if it wouldn't have all kinds of things to do to make this easier? I was struck. You can be seated for just one second. I'm messing with you, sorry. Stand up, sit down. We're not that kind of church usually, but we're doing that today. I want you to grab a contact card. I'm not going to manipulate you into putting your information on the contact card. Just grab one because you need something to write on. It's one of these are in the, grab a pen. Hopefully there's enough pens around you. But listen, I was struck as I was kind of working through the message about the importance of praying through the plan and the importance of having other people pray with you through the plan. And I was just struck by the importance of that, that Jesus brought the, he brought his crew with him and he said, pray with me as I pray through the plan. And if the life hack is we're going to pray through our plans, then I want you playing through the plan, playing through your plans. Whew. But I want to pray with you and our team wants to pray with you. We want to support you praying through your plans. And so here's what I'm asking. If you want to put your contact info, put your contact info on there. That's fine. But I would love for you on the back where it says, how can we pray for you? Or my response, you can kind of, you can fill that out. How can we pray for you? What's the plan? It can be simple, short, and sweet. It can be detailed. What's the plan right now that you need to pray for and pray through? And we're going to surround it in prayer. This body's going to do what a body's designed to do. We're going to support all the other ligaments and all the parts the way that we're designed to. And we're just going to be praying for you and whatever the plan is that you're trying to work through right now. Maybe you're not even sure what the plan is and you just need prayer for direction in the plan. Write that. If you're thinking you know what the plan is and you're like, ah, oh, it's going to be hard, write that. If you want to give us your contact information, great. Give me maybe a first name at least so I can pray for you. A code name, I don't care. But we're going to pray. And we're going to be committed this week. Our teams, I'm going to, I'll send this out to our, to our leadership teams, to our elders, to our trustees. And we're going to be praying. We're going to be just surrounding your plans in prayer. Because that's what the scripture asks us to do. And we're going to believe like James tells us that prayer moves the hand of God. It says you have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you ask with wrong motives. So we're going to get the right motives and we're going to ask. We're going to say, God, I want to know your plan in this. And we're going to believe, I think specifically, can I just be a little specific? It's 1130, so I'm going to be done. I'm, I'm, but I think there's some of you there in here just praying about career things right now. And I'm just believing that God's going to do some crazy, incredible, career-shifting, paradigm-changing, or releasing things. Just believing that. And I want to pray over you, with you, for you. Some of you are just praying about really just relational plan issue things. We're going to pray. We're just going to believe that God's going to show up, that he wants to show up, that he can show up. And then here's what we're going to do. I think I have a basket. Do I have a basket? Someone wave at me. Yeah, right there. Look at that. Right by the door. Thank you, Zanina. That's the basket. Before you leave, just toss it in there. That way I won't make it awkward or weird or whatever. You can fold it over if you don't want to trust anybody. I don't know. But we're going to pray. So let me pray for you right now once, and then we'll be done. But God, 
We just want to give you our plans. We want to pray through our plans. We want to exercise the discipline of the life hack of taking our plans to you and saying, God, if the Lord wills. I pray for those right now that are in confusion about the plan, that you're going to bring clarity in the name of Jesus. I pray for those right now, though it be humble to say it this way, who know they're in rebellion to the plan. And they hear the the practical words of Pastor James, and it challenges us to say, oh, thinking I can just get around to it is the wrong approach. So help me to prioritize the plan. God, I pray for those plans that are really specific right now. Plans that have to do with restoring relationship or activating ministry, plans about career paths or family planning. God, whatever that is, we're just gonna believe that if it's the Lord's will, we can do it. And we're gonna hear your voice and we're gonna see change because you are who you say you are and you can do what you say you can do. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.